Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Road to Malmö 2024 starts right now. It's time for the Euro trip. The Euro trip, when I read that, I was immediately thinking of the movie. Do you know the movie? <laughs> Hi, I'm Leanne. Hello, Leanne. Uh, Leanne, are you a Eurotrip podcast listener? I am, yes! <laughs> I, I should say, I met some Eurotrip fans here. I was chatting with people outside the entrance, and they said, oh, are you, are you Bella Fist? And I said, yeah, I know you're from the Eurotrip. What did you have for breakfast? It was last night. I did not have a kebab for breakfast. Queen Lorene, Eurovision winner. Did you ever think you would be back here again? I get goosebumps. No way! Martin Ossadar. Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much. Welcome back, I think it is, right? Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And today we start our very long journey towards Malmö 2024. Very, very long, but equally, don't you think that it will be, like, tomorrow... And it'll be time for the contest in Malmo. Like it will go so quickly. It's it's great to be here though, isn't it? It feels like it's been ages. It does feel like ages. It also feels like ages since we've heard the the proper opener, which we've you've done a tremendous job. We've got some new clips in there. Yeah, we've got a new 2024 opener to signify the start of the 2024 season. And you might have noticed a new clip there from Martin Osterdahl, the executive supervisor of Eurovision, uh, and he says, "Yeah, welcome back, welcome back to you, Martin, and welcome back to us." The road to 2024 starts now. Consider us stood at the foot of that massive bridge between Copenhagen and Malmo. The Orison Bridge is what you're looking for. We should say as well, welcome back to everybody listening and welcome to some brand new listeners. I'm sure over the summer, many of you have hit subscribe as we've been doing the contest in me and hopefully you're going to be with us until May next year. So, what are we doing today? I hear you cry. Well, of course, we are kickstarting our Rewind series. It's something we did on the podcast for the first time last year, where we are delving deep into some past editions of the Eurovision Song Contest, playing some brilliant archive audio, some of it from us here on the podcast, some of it from elsewhere. We've been doing some proper research to get you the best stories from the contest gone by. You will have heard a little taster of what to expect from our 1993 edition, which we put on the podcast feed last week. Well, James, first up, it is... 2002. We are heading back to 2002 on the podcast today. And also, we are heading to Malmo. We're heading to the host city of Eurovision 2024 for the first time this season. So you've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So hello and welcome. Episode 1 of the Eurotrip for 2024, although not episode one of the Eurotrip ever, <laughs> because this is James Eurovision number 
what that we're building up to here on the podcast since we kickstarted things. So we started in the summer of 2020. So we've done Eurovision 2021, Eurovision 2022, 2023. So this is our fourth Eurovision. Our fourth Eurovision. It's come around very quickly. Uh, we'll be building up to it every single week between now and May next year. Every single week is a lot, isn't it? <laughs> There'll be at least one episode as well. You know, we're going to oh, treat you sometimes yeah. uh, with more than one episode a week. It's funny as well. We're saying we're going to build you up to Malmö. And yet, today, we're going to be doing Rewind. So we're looking back <laughs> at a different contest as well. But we're going to be bringing you re- Rewind uh, for the next six weeks, which is going to be very, very fun. Yeah, really excited for Rewind. If you listened to our Rewind series last year, you will know how much love, how much effort we put into it. Into it, And you'll know just how enjoyable a listener is, because we find out some incredible stories from the past history of Eurovision that I can almost guarantee that I didn't know before uh, hearing this, hearing some of the years that James has worked on and vice versa. James, you know, the years that I work on that then you get to hear along with the listeners for the first time when we do it here on the podcast. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's going to be very, very fun. Uh, We put loads of work into this. We put a lot of effort into it. And I just want to bring your attention to something we've set up over the last week or so, uh, which is Buy Me A Coffee. Now, I don't know if you've heard of buymeacoffee.com before, uh, but it's an opportunity for you uh, to contribute towards the podcast. Now, of course, there's going to be loads of you listening who just like to listen and then turn off at the end, and that's absolutely fine. But if you want to contribute a little bit of your own money, which you are not obliged to do, don't you worry. But if you'd like to, you can head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Podcast. Yes, I'm going to say the link again, because it would be lovely to get some money, wouldn't it? Mm. It would be nice. <laughs> but as Jane said, feel free to not also. I appreciate, you know, it's a very difficult time at the moment for loads of you out there. So if you can't contribute, don't worry about it. You're more than welcome to keep listening to us here on the Eurotrip Podcast. But yes, that link again, buymeacoffee.com slash Podcast podcast and we'll also put a link to that in the description of today's episode because yeah we we put a lot of time and a lot of our own money into this <laughs> and have done as we said earlier on this is the fourth eurovision that we're going to be building up to we've done it over the last four years and uh, yeah if you can and if you would like to contribute anything we'd be very grateful indeed now rob rob lily or Rob Lily Jones. What are we going for now? Because this is the first episode we've done together since you got married. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've not decided on whether I'm going for a stage name <laughs> like Elton John. <laughs> Do you know what Elton John's real name is, by the way? Uh, it's Gregory... No. no. Reginald. Reginald. Reginald Dwight. Reginald Dwight, yeah. Although I should say that Rob Lily is my actual <laughs> name. Like, I've not made that up. I don't know why you would make that name up. Uh, but yeah, Rob Lily Jones is my official name now, having now got married. I don't know what I'm going to go for here on the podcast. Whatever you like, really. I appreciate Rob Lily might be easy for you to to, uh, to slip into, because it's what you're used to. <laughs> Although, having said that, I don't know how many times you ever addressed me by my full name. Yeah, I don't think I do really, actually. So, it, to me, it's probably irrelevant. Although, you're Twitter and Instagram handles have changed, so we should put that out as a PSA. I am now at Rob Lily Jones, if you want to find me on social media. Yeah, uh, I have a double-barreled name now, and I automatically feel more intelligent because of it. Uh, very quick Eurovision-related story that has come from uh, from my honeymoon, so the trip after the wedding. Uh, me and Emma, my wife, which still sounds odd to say, uh, went to Hungary. We went to Budapest, and then we went to uh, Lake Balaton which uh, is a lovely lake near Budapest, uh, stayed in a lovely hotel near Lake Balaton. And this is another example of one of our favourite things ever, Eurovision Songs in the Wild. Oh, tremendous. It's been a while since we've done this. Have you heard one? Did you uh, hear one on the honeymoon? I did. So I only heard one. The entire No, that's not true. I heard two, actually. I forgot about the first one. So the first one I heard was in Heathrow Airport, Terminal 3. Was it? Did you hear Terminal 3 by That would one? have been really good, but it wasn't. <laughs> uh, tattoo Valerie. Ah, oh, tremendous. Wonderful. So that was nice, mm-hmm. but that's not the one I was going to mention here. Um, so I was in the hotel. It was a nice hotel. Nice hotel. Had a sauna. So I was sat in the sauna. It took me a while to place it, actually, if I'm honest. Any guesses? Well, can, I'll stick it with 2023 then. Was it Austria 2023? Was it, was it who the hell is Edgar? No, that would have been incredible. That would have been great. Would have ruined the vibe, I think, to Probably. be honest. Po, 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 po. Not quite, not quite the vibe they were going for. Uh, no, it was from 2005. It was Serbia and Montenegro's last ever entry at the Eurovision Song Contest as a collective. Uh, it was, yeah, No Name and a song that I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of. Uh, Zavizek Moya.
always, always, always up for hearing your Eurovision songs in the wild. We will never get tired of hearing your Eurovision songs in the wild. So if you do want to get in touch with us here on the podcast, we are, of course, at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on TikTok as well. Uh, we're online. We are EurotripPodcast.com. And, of course, you can send us an email. And we love an email. James, that email is... Hello at EurotripPodcast.com. So new series, new Eurovision year here on the podcast. Same news bed, I'm afraid. <laughs> Same news jingle. Uh, and we're both sitting at the news desk. We've not actually mentioned today, we're in person, a very rare in-person recording for us, and both sitting at a desk. So we're both technically at the news desk this week. Yeah, hold on. I can shuffle some paper, like some actual some actual paper <laughs> here if I want to. What you don't know is that's actually just a receipt. Uh, someone else's receipt, not even mine. It was for £4.99 and it was from Accessorise. I, oh, and it was for a copy of the official highway code. It's from Waterstones, <laughs> apologies. The official highway code, so someone's clearly learning to drive. But anyway, yes, sorry, James, we are at a desk. Mm. And we are here to read, read, discuss, talk about the very latest news from the world of Eurovision. We are in person, as you said. At the time that we're recording this, uh, me and James are about to attend the Independent Podcast Awards, which mm. we are uh, very honoured to be nominated at. Uh, Best Arts and Culture Podcast, which makes us sound very highbrow. Mm. Um, at the time that you're listening to this, we will either have won or lost. <laughs> I guess we'll find out on the podcast, or at least, or at least you will next week. Yeah, probably best we recorded it before we went to the awards, so that we're going to be in a cheery mood, whatever. Yes. Whereas later in the week, we may not have been as so cheery. No, that is very, very true. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's happening in the world of Eurovision at the moment. I mean, big story from last week, of course. We got the figures in from Liverpool. Oh, Liverpool. Sounds mm. weird talking about Liverpool now, doesn't <laughs> in it? Given the past tense. Given we're talking about 2024 now. Um, £55 million pound boost to the economy in Liverpool, mm. Eurovision 2023, which is monumental. It is, isn't it? And, and it's a figure that even went beyond Liverpool's expectations as well, didn't it? I think they were only expecting, was it 30 or 40 million? Yeah. I, don't, I don't have the figures uh, to hand. But it's always a, a discussion, isn't it, when cities bid for Eurovision and then go on to host it, whether it's actually going to benefit them. But yeah, in excess of 50 million quid, it clearly it clearly does wonders for the economy. It's really interesting, isn't it, as well? Because we're in a world where a lot of major events are actually finding it hard to get hosts, host mm. cities. You know, we're seeing with football, the next Euros 2028, that's going to be like a whole UK and Ireland bid. Mm. You know, future events have got collaborative kind of bids. The Olympics often find it difficult to get a host city now. So Eurovision is kind of standalone as a proper yes host us and we'll we'll bring some benefits to your, your local economy and yeah liverpool reaping the benefits yeah good on them and i saw loads of you online who actually attended this uh, this day of uh, of talks and discussion all about the benefits of, of eurovision i saw so many of you there and it looked like a great day out with so many great figures who were who were speaking at that event yeah very good at not to be able to make that but we should look ahead to 2024. Obviously, some news around the contest that we can look forward to in seven months' time. Oh, this is usually the point where I do the countdown of days. Oh, you've put me on the... Well, I've put myself on the spot. You there. have put yourself on the spot. I haven't brought that up. You have. <laughs> uh, I'll start the day countdown next week. Yes, that's fine. Okay, so we'll all look forward to that, everybody. Um, yeah, what I was going to say, of course, 2024... We still don't know who's going to be in the contest, which countries, which we'll come to in a second. Uh, but we did see, and this is very predictable, your friend of mine, Mons Valmelov, has come out and said, yes, I'd quite like to host it. Of course you would, Mons. We'd all like to do it. I mean, you've, you've not heard me and James say, I'd be up for it. More often than not since 2015, since he competed for Sweden and then won, he has been involved. And fair play. Mm. The man clearly loves it and clearly wants to be involved. And yeah, I imagine he's going to be involved in some way next year yeah he'll probably be there it's safe to say whether he's hosting it alone with someone else or doing something i'm sure his face will crop up won't it? sweden has a big talent pool there's going to be a lot of people <laughs> who are throwing their hat into the ring uh former melfest presenters uh maybe a former eurovision presenter in petra Mary. well you've got her mobile number has she got in touch <laughs> 
I'll give her a WhatsApp after this and see what her current thoughts are. I've got Krista on WhatsApp, haven't I? I can send him a message, Krista Bjorkman, who, as of course we now know, is also involved in the contest for 2024. Maybe I'll, I'll pop him a message as well. Maybe I won't. I probably won't. We'll save that. We'll keep our powder dry for me when I'm on the podcast at some point close to the contest. Uh, but I mentioned as well, we don't know who's going to be in the contest this year. We are still at the time of recording this. And me and James say this trepidatiously because that probably means that the list will come out between us recording it and the podcast dropping. Uh, we still have, don't have the full participation list, do we, for 2024? We don't. We've got a lot of countries who have already confirmed participation uh, off their own back. I think the UK was probably the most recent one. who did that about two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. I confirmed their participation. But yeah, we're still waiting on a few. Notably, it has to be said, is Australia, an associate member of the EBU. They were on a, a five-year invitation, I think. Uh, to keep coming back and competing. But that ran out earlier this year, and we still have not an official confirmation whether or not they will be back in 2024. Yeah, so Australia, still big question marks over them. Obviously, question marks over a number of other countries, given world events that are happening at the time that we're recording this podcast. But also Kosovo is another interesting one, isn't it? Because you mentioned associate members of the EBU, as SBS in Australia are. The broadcaster in Kosovo, also an associate member of the Eurovision Song Contest, or rather the EBU currently, they held their very first Festival of Kengas. I say very first, it might not have been their very first. Yeah, so they held Festival of Kengas, which obviously is a name we know uh, for Albania, using as their national final, and has been a, a competition in Albania for uh, around 60 years now, I mm. think, isn't it? Uh, and so they held uh, an event over uh, the weekend, and also had an appearance from, from Noel Curran, who is the, the president, I think, of the EBU. And you point your finger because you know who he's married to, I guess. He's married to Ema Quinn, is he not? He is, yeah. Eurovision winner from 1996. Uh, but he popped up uh, with a video message in support of that competition. So it's very interesting to see him getting involved uh, in that situation there. Yeah, really interesting. There's so many countries, of course, aren't there now, who you think, well, could they debut? Could they return? And all of this prompted, of course, by Luxembourg's return to mm-hmm. Eurovision in 2024, which, again, I think we will definitely be talking about that a lot more here on the podcast over the next few months or so but yeah some very interesting stuff happening out there right now you're listening to the euro trip with rob lilly and james rowe like what you're hearing make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening yeah, this is the Eurotrip podcast our first episode back for 2024 and it is now time for our very first visit to the host city of Eurovision 2024. When it came to who our first guest should be on the podcast for 2024, we kind of had to get someone on from Malmo, didn't we? So that's exactly what I did. I have been speaking to Emma Lofgren, and she is the editor of The Local Sweden, who are a news organisation based out there over in Sweden. She was born just outside Malmo. She lives just outside Malmo. She grew up in the south of Sweden. So she is best placed to tell us all about this year's Eurovision host city. So here's what happened when we caught up and I asked how excited she was that Eurovision was coming to town next year. I mean, most of uh, the locals editorial team in Sweden were based in Malmo and we were thrilled in, in a totally professional and neutral way, of course, as journalists. Um, I was actually off that day and I remember I immediately texted my colleague and all my friends like, did you find out? Oh my God, oh my God, it's coming to Malmö. Uh, but I, actually, I think that for a lot of people in Malmö, the second best thing was that Malmö won and the best thing was that Stockholm did not. Like there's that kind of friendly intercity competition in Sweden like that. I did wonder, I was going to ask you that, you know, have you got friends who are kind of from Stockholm, living in Stockholm, who are a little bit envious about everything that's happening at the moment? I can't say they were the best losers. So Emma, as someone who knows Malmo so well, what was it that you think meant that that the Eurovision organisers decided that it was Malmo over Stockholm? Eurovision going back to Malmo for, for the first time in what, 10, 11 years? Obviously they have experience, they've organised it before, but so has Stockholm. I think... Um, Part of the attraction of Malmö might just be that it is actually a smaller city, so it can give the the event that sort of more kind of intimate atmosphere and not make it necessarily this huge, big thing. That said, I think they're expecting like 30,000 visitors or something to come to the city, so I think it's going to be pretty big anyway. And as you know from previous Eurovisions in other cities, there's usually plenty of side events that are organised and it's a huge 
party, really. And um, Malmö City Council has said that, you know, even people who aren't actually attending the event at Malmö Arena, they're definitely going to notice that something is happening. So for the people who are coming to Malmö next year, or the people that might be considering coming, maybe these are the people that didn't visit when Eurovision was was in town in, in 2013. What can they expect from the city? What kind of makes Malmö stand out as a, as a host city that people should be really excited about visiting? Oh, Malmö is great. Malmö is a very um, vibrant kind of up-and-coming city. It it has been up and coming for some time, to be honest, but you can feel that it's still kind of got more potential, that there's this sort of tangible buzz in the city. Uh, I remember from when I was young that Malmö used to be a very industrial city with, with a big like, ship building industry and kind of quite boring, really. Not a lot going on. And that's kind of co- that's coming on. Nowadays, it's got this booming tech scene, which is really exciting. Gaming companies. It's got a great food scene with like everything from fine dining to cheap but delicious fast food. Like you need to make sure that you have a falafel roll when you're here. It's it's a very, very creative city with like great music scene for people who are interested in a range of other kinds of music than Eurovision, which is fair enough. That's that's allowed, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, Malmö prides itself on being very international. It's uh, it's home to people from more than 180 countries, and it's always felt a little bit like it's sort of closer to the continent than the rest of Sweden, uh, which it is. And um, and as I mentioned, it's super well connected as well to other cities. Well, I've got you to thank already for our first big tip then for Eurovision 2024, which is to make sure you get a falafel wrap when you're in Malmo. I'm very excited about that. Exactly. Is there anything happening right now? I mean, we're talking the time at which people are going to be listening to this is going to be November. So the contest is six, seven months away. Is there anything happening in the city? Of course, you're well connected. You're working in the city. You're, you know, you're hearing stories about what's going on. Is there any Eurovision excitement that's just starting to bubble under with with still a, a little bit of time to go? I mean, it seems to me like Eurovision cities in general kind of don't really announce anything until quite close to the event. And I think also for a lot of people in Malmö, the real excitement is going to be when everybody arrives and there's so many people in the city. Um, you know, I remember... I might be going off on a tangent now, but I remember once when the Pope came to visit Malmö and uh, I reported from that. And the thing that people were the most kind of excited about wasn't the Pope. The Pope's like, oh yeah, the Pope is here. But have you seen how many police officers and how many people? <laughs> That's when you know you're in Sweden, when people are the most excited to see other people. <laughs> Now, Emma, on the podcast every year, we like to give our listeners a little bit of an idea about the host city that they can look forward to if they are visiting or indeed to give them a flavour of the host city if they are going to be watching the contest from home. Now, last year we had our leap to Liverpool. Uh, The year before we had our trek to Turin. Uh, We've also had our Rotterdam road trip. Uh, So we haven't worked out quite what we're doing yet this year. We might be marching to Malmo. We're not sure yet. I mean, one, have you got any suggestions? I mean, are you happy with March to Malmo if if we consider that as a as a nomination for the name, for the feature? I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. March to Malmo. I like that. Okay. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can picture all the Eurovision fans marching to Malmo. <laughs> Across the bridge, maybe, from Copenhagen. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emma, then the second thing that I have to say is on on, you know, Trek to Turin, Leap to Liverpool, Road to Rotterdam, all we've done. What we do every year is we try and build up their vocabulary for when they visit the city. So what Swedish word can you leave us with that might be useful for anyone who might be coming to Malmö in 2024? Okay, so Malmö is in the southern Swedish region, Skåne or Scania. So I'm actually going to teach you a southern Swedish expression. Uh, So the southern accent is a bit more bit more guttural than the Swedish accent, perhaps a little bit similar to the sound of Danish. It's got diphthongs and people also tend to be a little bit more straightforward than other parts of Sweden. They don't suffer fools and they will happily tell you if they think that you are one. So the expression that I'm going to teach you is this. Adel. Right, I'm going to now try and say that back to you and do it terribly. 
and I'm not even sure that I have the the noises in my mouth to make that. Uh, <laughs> right, give it to me one more time. Go on. Aru. Aru. <laughs> so it literally means like oh you. Uh, so if I say it in a more in a cleaner Swedish accent, it's ah du. It's like oh you. Uh, but it's in the way you say it, Adol. And you say it when someone has just said something completely ridiculous that's, you know, barely even worthy of a comment. Like, Adol, what are you on about? 12 points to the UK, Adol, you can't be serious. Right, I'm going to give it one more go and do it very, very badly. Are you? Adol. Are you? Adol. Adol. Oh, yeah, that was good. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll call it quits there. Yes. And Emma, I'll get practicing between <laughs> now between now and May. That's totally fine. Um, Emma, I'm sure this isn't the last time, if it's okay with you, that we will speak in the uh, in the run up to to Eurovision 2024, because we'll have to find out what's going on in Malmo, and you seem very well placed to do that. So, thank you very much for joining us on the Euro trip. Oh, thank you. I'd love to be back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Lovely to hear from Emma there here on the Eurotrip. We'll be uh, dipping in and out of Sweden and Malmö over the next few months to get you up to speed on the preparations there. But also we're going to have a guest every single week to discuss a a big Eurovision news story. So uh, we're going to be the number one place uh, for Eurovision news discussion. I don't think we've ever said that before, but it sounds good. I like it. I like it. Ever since we got nominated for that uh, that (laughs) podcast award and you realised that it was the arts and culture category, you've become very highbrow. So you're home of Eurovision discussion here on the Eurotrip podcast. And also, if you have anything that you would like us to cover, if you want us to get a guest on anything then make sure you get in touch with us on socials as well, at Eurotrip Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Send us an email as well, hello at eurotrippodcast.com, because this is your podcast as much as it is ours. Indeed. But now... You're going to say it. I am. For the first time. Let's rewind. So this is Rewind. This is the part of the podcast over the next few weeks where we will be delving deep into the archives of the Eurovision Song Contest, looking back at some of our favourite editions of the Eurovision Song Contest. And hopefully by the end of this, they will be your favourite editions as well, because we have deliberately handpicked some years of Eurovision from yesteryear that have some incredible stories, some stories you'll know, some stories you won't. Yes, indeed. And this has become one of my favourites that I've ever researched and put together. It was a contest I've only watched once before, but I had a feeling there was going to be some gems in there. So, uh, yeah, pop that seatbelt on and uh, let's get ready to look back at 2002 together. I was about to say, you've not even said the year. You have again there. (laughs) 2002. So, yeah, let's start by setting the scene for you then. Either reminding some of you older listeners or giving some of you younger ones a bit of a history lesson. Back in 2002, what was going on? Well, Team GB won their first Winter Olympic gold medal in 18 years at the Salt Lake City Olympic Games with the women's curling team taking the top prize. Uh, The BBC launched its brand new radio station, Six Music. 
And on the day of the contest, I enjoyed doing this a lot. <laughs> what was number one on the day of the contest? So on the day of the contest here in the UK, Liberty X topped the UK singles chart with their first number one, Just a Little. Little nugget from me here, by the way, that the album that came from, mm. I can't remember the name of it. I think it might have just been self-titled, Liberty X. It was the first ever album I bought. Was it mine? Was... I think after this, the first ever album I bought was uh, the official Pepsi chart, 2003. Oh, I, I think I got that one for my birthday. Eurovision Connection, tell you who else was on that, though. Go on. Last Ketchup. They're oh, on there. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, d- off track already. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this doesn't happen too often. Uh, let's get back on track then. Uh, the contest in 2002 was held in Tallinn in Estonia after Dave Benton and Tanel Padar won with the song Everybody in 2001. Uh, their victory gave the Estonian broadcaster ETV a bit of a headache, though, uh, which we'll come on to in a second. But the pride in Estonia itself was second to none. At a homecoming parade in Tallinn in 2001, so just after their victory, the then Prime Minister, Mart La, said to the crowd, We freed ourselves from the Soviet Empire through song. Now we will sing our way into Europe. What a quote from Mart Lava. Mm, yeah, very profound, wasn't it? Um, speaking about that homecoming event to the BBC in the run-up to the 2002 contest, uh, Mayan Anna Karmas, uh, one of the songwriters of the winning song in 2001, said, When I close my eyes, I can still see that moment. Thousands of people, that joy, that one moment when people forgot about everything else and they were happy that they were together being Estonian. And people say Eurovision doesn't matter, hey? (laughs) Uh, Now, back in the summer of 2021, we spoke to the BBC's Russia editor, Steve Rosenberg, for an episode of The Contest and Me, which you can go back and listen to in full. And he spoke at length about the significance of Estonia winning the contest in 2001. Here's what he said when I asked him about some of his fondest Eurovision memories. So I, I was doing a preview piece for the BBC and I met this incredible pensioner called Carl. Carl Pilgas, and he took me into his flat, unlocked a cupboard, and showed me all these score sheets uh, from Eurovision Song Contest parties of the past. And what Carl had done, because Estonia was once part of the Soviet Union, part of the, the Communist Empire, and he used to hold, have these clandestine Eurovision Song Contest parties. He built himself a satellite dish out of electronics that he gathered with the purpose of watching the Eurovision Song Contest, because for him, for this Estonian, Eurovision was a sign of freedom. It was a breath of fresh air. And he said that if the authorities had found out that he was doing this, he could have lost his job. So secretly, every year, he gathered his friends round at his apartment and they had this, this secret Eurovision Song Contest party and kept score. And he kept all these scorecards. And that really... Um, was amazing. And, and it showed to me that actually, you know, people in the West who kind of shrug their shoulders and make jokes about Eurovision, well, for many people in the East, Eurovision represented freedom. It represented a different life. Always great to hear from Steve. Now, getting on to the prospect of Estonia actually hosting the contest. So they've talked about how great it would be, but now they've actually got to work out the logistics. Well, this is what Mark Lahr, we've already mentioned him, the then Prime Minister of Estonia, told the BBC. We are very proud to host all Europe here in Thailand. It's a very big responsibility. It's not very easy for Estonia, but we will do it. Without no doubt, we will do it. Yeah, so back in the May of 2001, in the aftermath of Estonia's win, R.A. Erm, the CEO of Estonia's broadcaster, said, We are doing everything possible to host this festival, but current public broadcasting laws in Estonia make this impossible. Now, he may have been referring to the lack of government investment in the broadcaster at the time. That government investment was so important, isn't it, when it comes to hosting Eurovision? Now, ETV was in serious debt in the early 2000s, and bosses at the broadcaster claimed that they may even have to pull its usual TV schedule in order to host the contest in 2002. But still, in May 2001, the Estonian government did loan ETV 37 million kroner, which is more than $2 million, in order to support the broadcaster generally rebuffing suggestions that this money was just to be used for Eurovision in 2002. Now, a spokesman for the government told the BBC, the government supports the organisation of the festival, but does not see a connection between the competition and the loan. 
you can make your own judgments on that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of politics going on at that time. Uh, at the end of the month, on the 29th, uh, and still in 2001 here, uh, it was the very last day Estonia could confirm to the EBU that they were prepared to take on hosting duty. So that was the 29th of May. Now, Malta, who had finished 9th in 2001, <laughs> uh, were standing in the wings. They'd already said that they were prepared to take on hosting duties. Is that how it works? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not, I'm not sure you, you have a right to say, <laughs> yeah, we'll have it if you finish 9th. Uh, it wasn't then until the 19th of June that Estonia was officially confirmed as hosting after a visit of EBU officials to the Baltic nation. Now, Rud Björman, I've, I've given that my best shot, <laughs> a representative of the Dutch broadcaster NOS working on behalf of the EBU, said, I am confident that with the help of the EBU members as well as the government, Estonian television will be able to prepare a top-class show by May. Spoilers. They put it on air. It does happen. (laughs) Now, after reading reports from the time, it seems like, as you just said, the preparation for Estonia's hosting went off without a hitch. Apart from one curiosity that I did come across. Go on. This is my favourite bit. Go on. So, in 2000 and in 2001, Estonia did not observe daylight (laughs) saving time. Right, already before you say anything else, I don't know how this is possibly connected (laughs) to them hosting Eurovision, but do go on. Well... Come 2002, the government was locked in a debate over whether or not to introduce the changing of the clocks twice a year. But a directive from the European Council stipulated that all EU members... Sorry if this sounds boring, but it's going to get to the point shortly. Uh, that all EU members would follow daylight saving for the next five years. And as one of Estonia's ambitions was to join the bloc, Martlar's government duly signed off on reintroducing daylight saving. So... It appears that the debate in Parliament pushed back the printing date of the audience (laughs) tickets for the live shows on far too long, uh, as the start time actually had to be printed onto each ticket. Ah, okay. Now, for decades, the start time of the show, of of the Eurovision Grand Final, has been 8pm BST. Of course. Uh, And Estonia's indecision about the clocks (laughs) meant that organisers didn't actually know what time the show would actually start in Tallinn. Now, I have memories from... Eurovision 2002, which doesn't make any sense because um, I've told many stories uh, and on the contest of me about how the first Eurovision I ever remember watching was in 2004. Mm. But the only memory I do have of Eurovision 2002 is that everything seemed very light. But all the postcards and everything, like, and, and the shots of external crowd and stuff, it seemed very light. So did it start at 8pm? Yeah, so it started at 8pm UK time. Okay. Uh, but obviously it was it was later in Estonia because of the, the two-hour time difference. But of course a bit further north, so therefore lighter at night. Indeed, uh. yes, exactly. Now, in finding all this out, I did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I've not put this on the script, Rob, so you have no idea what I'm about to tell you now. Everybody, my script simply reads, tangent. <laughs> so strap yourself in. So I did. I found myself down a rabbit hole and ended up on the Baltic Times and an article from 2002 titled... Birds warm up for Eurovision. Now, is this... I'm going to guess which bird it is. Is it geese? Were the geese getting excited for Eurovision in Estonia in 2002? It was more than just the geese. Uh, It says, this article, that the Estonian Fund for Nature, the Estonian Ornithological Society... Easy for you to say. ...and the telecommunication company Tele2 were (laughs) organising... the European Bird Song Contest to celebrate (laughs) Eurovision coming to Estonia. (laughs) It goes on to say that organisers say none of the birds actually have to fly to Estonia to take part in the contest. what a relief. Because it's all being conducted on the web at (laughs) birdeurovision.org. Does the website birdeurovision.org still exist? I knew you were going to ask that, and yes it does, (laughs) because I've been to the website and I'm able to tell you who was crowned the winner. Now, before you build, uh, well, no, to build the tension before you reveal the winner, we should say that over on buymeacoffee.com slash Podcast, we will be putting all of the links to James's research on there. And we will, we will be doing that for every episode of Rewind this series. So if you too want to head to birdurovision.org, there's a link <laughs> over there for it. So I headed there and remarkably the website still exists. It's one of those old websites where it's just sort of very vertical. Really very narrow. Really narrow. Uh, but I did head there, and I can tell you that the winner was the Icelandic Golden Plover. Oh, I could have told you that before you told me. I would have known the plover would have been up there. And we can hear a bit of its song <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, you can hear. 
you can hear there why why the old uh, golden plover was was crowned the winner. Are there any tactical votes at the old bird song contest? I'm not sure. There was a there was an audience vote, but then there was a professional jury vote. <laughs> I was going to. Is there a bird jury? Is there some <laughs> some seagulls that sit on a washing line and then they all discuss the songs and send in their votes? Or yeah. carrier pigeons take the votes into WeBUHQ? Exactly. So one bird from each country. You can head to that website and you can listen to the top five from the public <laughs> and the top five from the jury. I feel like it's worth reiterating here. You are listening to Rewind 2002 and this is indeed a Eurovision podcast. <laughs> Let's get it back on track again then, uh, when we look at the, the running order for the actual grand final uh, night. Not before. the bird contest, the actual one. Yeah, back to Eurovision in Tallinn. So it wasn't actually until 2013, as many of you will know, that the random running order was abolished. Uh, and for the 2002 contest, the running order itself was actually drawn months in advance uh, of the live final. So in 2001, November, Oof. Dave Benton and Tanel Pedar, obviously the winners from around six months beforehand, teamed up to host the draw from a studio in Tallinn. Today we'll find out exactly in which order all the participants of different countries are going to come on stage the 25th of May 2002 here in Tallinn. Shall we begin? I follow you. Okay. The system is very simple. We have 24 similar balls. Each of them contains the name of the country taking part in the contest. Good. And I guess I can hear them thinking now. Number one. Who's going to be number one? Actually, there's no reason to be superstitious about it. Because in 1975, the Dutch group Teach In won this contest with the song Ding Digi Dong, although they were the first one on stage. And the same thing happened in 1976 with the British group Brotherhood of Men. The song, Save All Your Kisses For Me. Yes, yeah, so I should say, listening to this, not natural presenters, are they? Yeah, not really. <laughs> uh, <although it> was... <laughs> but, then, but then again, are they ever? Not them two, just generally. Yeah, no, uh, it was also interesting to hear uh, Dave Benton coming out with a, with a stat there at the very beginning. I should also say, he didn't mention that it also happened in 1984 for, for the Hooray Brothers, representing Sweden uh, in Luxembourg. So just... He missed that bit out, but obviously I've got the stats, so I had to come in and just uh, correct it. You've got Dave's back. Don't worry. I'm sure he won't mind. Well, shall we get on to the live show itself? Thank goodness you might be <laughs> you might be crying while listening to this. Well, we've just been chatting about them, and we're going to stick with Dave Benton and Tan Alpadar. Here's how they opened the show in Tallinn. So since their victory, there had actually been tensions brewing behind the scenes, not necessarily between them two, but rather with their respective managers. So in an episode of the BBC's Arena documentary programme, which was filmed in early 2002 and aired on TV a week before the contest, presenter Marina Zenovich spoke to both Tanel's manager, Ula Palm, and Dave's manager, Larry Laubre. So, at one point in the documentary, Ula claims to run the biggest music company in the world. That's quite a claim. <laughs> uh, and that Larry is, quote, a very well-known crook in Estonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so things are getting a bit heated. On the other hand, Dave's manager, Larry, seemed quite hopeful that a deal between the pair would come through. He said all that was proposed was good, there were advances proposed, Tanel would get some money, there was a lot of promotion proposed around Europe, Tanel would get his face known. Now the breakdown between the managers would understandably, given the quotes that you've just read out there, would have an impact on Dave and Tanel as a duo. Now they were of course soloists before being paired up for Eurovision, but apart from their hosting of the running order draw, and their very short performance, and it was very very short, at the start of the 2002 final, there was nothing more to be made of the pair as a duo. Yeah, they were only performing at the start of the 2002 contest, as we've just heard, uh, for 39 seconds, <laughs> and were only on screen for 29 seconds. And as far as I'm aware, that was their very last performance together 
until actually earlier this year when he teamed up for a special performance at the Estonian Film and Television Awards Gala, which, again, we'll put that link on Buy Me A Coffee. If you do have a spare however long and want to watch the Estonian Film and Television Awards Gala. <laughs> Just the three-minute performance. But I think that was the the most recent time they performed after the 2002 opener. And it's genuinely a really heartwarming performance. You can see the joy in the face. Oh. It's really, really genuinely lovely. That is nice. Sorry that I uh, ever brought into question your reference to the Estonian <laughs> Film and Television Awards Gala. So on to the songs then. But we're not going to go through them all. Fear not. But we're going to pick a few, a small handful to delve a little bit deeper. Now, there were 24 countries competing in 2002. Now, that was an increase of one on the year before. So, so 23 countries in 2001, 24 in 2002. Now, at the time, Eurovision, of course, had yet to introduce the semi-finals. They would come two years later. So instead, they were running a relegation system limiting the number of performers each year. Now, in 2002, remember this, we bid farewell to Iceland, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland and Portugal, but we welcomed back Austria, Belgium, Cyprus, Finland, Macedonia, Romania and Switzerland. So let's get to some of those songs. We'll start with a song that was in the dreaded number two slot in the running order. Jessica Garlic was representing the UK with her song, Come Back. I just want you to Now, the song itself was written by Martin Bailey and was the eighth time he'd entered a song into the UK's national selection. Speaking in 2010, he said, In the past, I'd always tried to deliberately write a song for the contest. I would try anything to get in. I studied form, so to speak, and tried to create the perfect contest song. None of this was successful. So when I thought I didn't care about the formulas anymore, I sent in Come Back and it won! Remarkable, isn't it? It's almost as if there isn't a formula to write a Eurovision song. It's like people always say, (laughs) you can't write a song for Eurovision. Now, looking back at the UK's national final earlier in the year, now, this is a a curious story. Uh, Investigative journalist Jonathan Maitland, (laughs) who's known to many in the UK at least, uh, from the IDV's Tonight programme, uh, he was one of Jessica's competitors in A Song for Europe. I thought you were going to say he either presented the selection or had done documentary on, on Eurovision 2002. Yeah, no, no, he was competing in, in A Song for Europe. Yeah, he was competing in A Song for Europe in his, and I quote from him himself, his crap wedding band <laughs> called Surf and Turf. They'd made it to the final four from a field of 600 submitted songs. Uh, he'd initially ended as a stunt for a book that he was writing called How to Make a Million from a Pop Band, which all stemmed from a £1 bet at 50 to 1 he'd placed the year prior on himself that he'd score a number one single by May 2002. Uh, in the national final, Maitland and his bandmates ultimately finished last. Their exact appeal to viewers is still unknown as the presenter Claire Sweeney didn't actually read out their number of votes, but did so for the top three. So there were only four songs in the final. Mm. Every other song got their votes read out, not them. Exactly. Tremendous. So it was probably a very low number of votes. Uh, It's no surprise as well that he failed in his quest to reach the top of the chart, but he still did publish the book in the autumn of 2002 under a new name, How to Have a Number One Hit Single. Although I guess he doesn't really know how to. And also, I'm very gutted actually that I uh, I bought this book and it hasn't arrived yet. I was hoping it was going to be here because I wanted to have a read through and see what his side of the story was. Can we give that book away as the prize for the Eurovision 2024 Eurotrip podcast sweepstake? <laughs> Not sure it's much of a prize. <laughs> now we are going to move on to song number five. So from song two, the UK, to song five in the running order, which was Rosa representing Spain with Europe's Living a Celebration. Now, for a lot of Spain's history at Eurovision prior to 2002, they had opted for an internal selection for their act. In 2000 and 2001, they had introduced the new national final, Eurocancion. But for 2002, a new national final called Operación Triunfo, thank you, James, (laughs) was brought to TV screens. 
Now, perhaps inspired by the recent success of Big Brother, <laughs> contestants lived together week after week, stepping onto stage once a week to perform for audience votes. So far more than just a national final. Mm, yeah, so it went on a marathon run. It aired from October 2001 to February 2002. So yeah, it was on week after week after week. But over 12 million viewers saw 20-year-old Rosa Lopez win the competition uh, and take the prize of representing Spain in Tallinn. Now, lucky enough for five of her fellow contestants in the competition, they all went to Tallinn too. Hey! uh, Albeit as her backing singers. Uh, One of them may be memorable to you as well. Uh, Gisela went on to represent Andorra in 2008. Good fact. Very good fact. Uh, On to song number seven. And this is the boy band Prime Minister with the song Northern Girl. So this is Russia's entry for Eurovision in 2002. So Prime Minister and Northern Girl were among a perhaps unbelievable number of submissions to represent Russia in 2002. Um, According to the Russian broadcaster, they received 11,741 other submissions to represent Russia that year. Uh, The broadcaster's music producer, Alexander Faithman, he noted this astonishing number two, saying that he was pleasantly surprised that interest in the competition among Russians has grown and the level of compositions has made several orders of magnitude higher compared to previous years. The group would go on to finish 10th overall. Uh, they did a Q&A on their official website after the event to have their say on the result. Asked whether they considered the result a success, they said, undoubtedly. Not only have we entered the top 10 and our country will take part in Eurovision 2003, remember the relegation rule that we mentioned earlier, but we have also thoroughly acquired fame and connections among Western colleagues and the press. Mm, a very convoluted way of, <laughs> of going about that. Yeah, very convoluted and long way of saying, yes, we were quite pleased we finished in the top 10. Exactly, yeah. Uh, let's move on to song number eight then. Uh, it was Estonia, the host nation, of course. They were being represented by Swedish singer... Celine with the song Runaway. Uh, now, on an episode of the podcast in early 2022, uh, Celine joined us to tell us how this opportunity came about. Uh, here she is recalling the time a Swedish and he publisher. Said, Hi, Anna. We don't know Friday each other night. personally, but you have been recommended to me. He said, This might sound like a joke, but I am actually looking for a singer for. Uh, the Estonian pre-selection for Eurovision that is tomorrow. I'm like, uh, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) And he said, yeah, the thing is, I am working with um, a couple of Estonian songwriters. I'm publishing them from Sweden, but the singer doesn't want to do it. So instead of saying no, I said, Okay, uh, so can you send me the song and I'll, I'll have a listen. Mind you, this was 20 years ago, so it was no fast internet. It was like the modem time was like... <laughs> so it took three hours for half of Runaway to come to my shitty laptop. So I heard myself calling the publisher guy in the middle of the night. It was actually after 12 o'clock. I said, you know what? I'll do it. What do I have to do? And then he said, can you pay, pay for your own plane ticket and I'll get the money back to you? I'm like, no, you know, I was really broke and I was young and I'm like, okay. And I thought, is this a scam? So I went out the day before I went, no, sorry. The day after I went to, um, I went to Arlanda, the airport and I got to Estonia and in Estonia it's one hour later. So I actually went straight to dress rehearsal. And then I heard the full song for the first time. Now, when Celine won the national final, the result was decided by an international jury, which included the likes of friend of the podcast, 
and the UK's entry from 2000, Nikki French, for the UK, and Louis Walsh for Ireland. There was also a non-competitive audience vote, with 40% of the audience voting for another country song, which the jury's placed second, and that was the name of the song. Yes, yeah, it, was, it wasn't just another country song. <laughs> the song was called Another Country Song. Exactly. Uh, okay, that all makes sense, I think. Um, if you're wondering who was meant to perform Runaway originally, well, it was in fact Innes, who represented Estonia in 2000, and in 2002 was in a relationship with 2001 winner... Tamel Pedar! It's all very dramatic, isn't it? Your research really does know no bounds. Uh, I mentioned the uh, the documentary that I had on the BBC beforehand, a week before the, the final. You can see the behind-the-scenes drama around Innes and Tanel Pedar as a couple oh. on that documentary. Well worth watching. Well, shall we move on then to the winner? Shall we finally get to the winner of Eurovision 2002? Probably a good idea, yes. Song number 23 in the running order uh, was Marianne, representing Latvia, with I Wanna. Now, what's impressive about Marianne's victory is that Latvia almost didn't even compete in 2002. So, as we've mentioned a couple of times already, the relegation system was in use to limit the number of countries that would compete each year. So the worst performing countries one year would be forced to sit out the following edition of the contest. Now, 2002 saw 24 countries invited to compete, as we've already mentioned, an increase of one on the year before. Now, this number was made up of the top 17 countries from the 2001 contest, plus the seven countries that were forced to sit out a year after previously being relegated. And how they came up with the number 17? <laughs> who came up with that in Geneva? Anyway, Portugal, who had scored the final automatic spot for 2002 by finishing 17th in 2001, decided eventually against participating in Estonia. Now, this, of course, in turn, then passed the opportunity on to Latvia, who had finished 18th and therefore originally missed out. Uh, you know, we, we chatted a few weeks ago, didn't we, about like the butterfly effect. Yeah, the sliding doors moment. Exactly, yeah. Uh, we'll hear the song in a sec, but a quick mention of the voting sequence uh, because it got very, very tense. It came down to the very last set of points and actually the very last douze poids as well, which naturally made for some very gripping viewing. But I wonder if you've ever thought uh, when those behind the scenes making the contest actually find out. James, when do those behind the scenes actually making the contest find out? <laughs> well, let's take you inside the gallery. So this is where the producers and the directors sit who are putting together the live show. And we're going to head into the gallery uh, for the penultimate set of points that are being given out on behalf of the Latvian vote. Uh, now, this is the moment we hear the then executive supervisor, Christine Marshall Ortiz, uh, radio to the director, Marius Bratton, to break the news to him. And four. Now four. we call the biggest city in the Baltic States, Riga. That's the one. Okay, thank you. We have a winner. Hello, Tallinn, Riga calling. Backstage, listen now. The current country is the winner. This one. Yeah. And here we go with the results of the thank Latvian you, telephone voting. Yes, Latvia is the one. Latvia is the one. France, two points. France, two points. La France, two points. What a fascinating insight, and one we never really get. So amazing to hear that. Well, let's hear the winning moment as happened on our TV screens, and of course, the winner. Should I tell who got the first place? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Right. 12 points goes to Latvia. And finally, Latvia, 12 points. Pour conclure la Lettonie, 12 points. Ladies and gentlemen, this means that we have a winner. With 176 points, the winner of the Eurovision Song Contest 2002 is Latvia. I wanna be the queen of the 
You're listening to the Euro Trip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. And that brings to a close a very chunky but a very worthwhile first edition of Rewind for the 2024 season as we look back at Eurovision 2002. I think I got too attached to 2002. I knew it was the first one we were going to be doing, so I naturally just ended up putting loads of research. I was into it and found so much. I was on the Estonian Broadcasters Archive. I was, honestly, I was everywhere. On the Estonian Times. I was on a Estonian newspaper archive. BirdEurovision.net or whatever it was called. <laughs> oh, It was really, really great fun. Hopefully you enjoyed that. If you want to look at all the research and look at the videos and the documentaries that I've mentioned, don't forget you can head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. All the links are there for you. And we should say very quickly as well, because we love doing Rewind here on the podcast. If you missed or if you want to listen back again to any of our first series of Rewind, of course, we put Eurovision 1993. I'll look back on Rewind uh, to that on our podcast feeds last week. Well, we will be putting the other editions of Rewind that we did last year over on our podcast feeds every Friday. So a little treat for you on a Friday. We'll uh, package up Rewind as a little bonus and we'll drop it there over the next few Fridays so you can listen back to what we did on Rewind last year. Yes, a brand new episode every Wednesday. And if you're a new listener and you want to listen to the uh, first series, they're going to be with you every Friday as well. So plenty of Rewind every single week. Now, if you are a new listener, you won't know what's about to happen. If you're an old listener, you will indeed. We finish every single episode of the Eurotrip podcast with a little game we like to call the one second song. Yes, we do. So every week we take in turns to play one another a Eurovision song, but only the very first second. There's four points on offer. All we have to do is guess the song title, the artist, the country represented and the year it took part. It sounds simple. It very rarely is. Very rarely is. Now, as the winner of last year's one second song, uh, I have picked today's first one second song of the series. So you are about to hear it. James is going to hear it. You're both going to hear it for the very first time. And then we're going to ask James to guess what song it is. So for the first time, for all of you listening, and for James, here's this week's One Second Song. Blimey. (laughs) (laughs) Was that even a second? Over the course of the summer, have you forgotten how short a second is (laughs) and how difficult this game is? I think I have. Blimey. That was very short, and I am puzzled and perplexed. As we will often do will give you the chance to listen to it one more time. But after this, I will require your guest. This is difficult. Uh, literally not a clue. I should just go out straight oh, out. I think you do. Honestly, I think really? you do. Oh, no. Well, I really don't. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to say, I really have no idea. Which means, you know what this means? I have to make something up. That's right, everybody. James does like to make up, I guess. He he never is happy to just leave it as, I'm not sure. So go on, which random country song that never existed is it this week? Let's go for Latvia 2009. Mm. It was mm. the well-known trio. Of course. Of Bears. Bears. Just Bears. Just Bears. And <laughs> their song, Come Alive Tonight. <laughs> it's a good name for a song. It also sounds like something that San Marino would have sent in the in the two thousands. Uh, no, it's not. You'll be shocked to hear. Um, so, in customary James fashion, you kick off the new series of the one second song with zero points. Indeed, put me out of my misery. <laughs> what indeed was it? Well, James, what year have we just been doing on Rewind? Was it something from two thousand two? It was something from two thousand two. And where did we head earlier in the podcast? To Sweden. It's the Swedish entry from 2002. It's Aphrodite with Never Let It Go. not get that. How? The amount of times I've watched Eurovision deals do it the last week or so <laughs> while researching I it. I genuinely thought I was being really nice to you this week and I was like, well, ease him in with an easy one given he's probably watched that contest a lot and will definitely know what it is. Yeah, that was Sweden 2002. Uh, Aphrodite 
the the girl group. Uh, they finished eighth in the contest. And here's a 2002 fact for you that you didn't have in your rewind. Uh, that song was originally uh, meant to be sung in Melody Festivalen, uh, Sweden's selection show, by Alcazar. Ah, they rejected the rejected the song. There you go. So they could have actually got to Eurovision with that song then. Yes. Like, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. A bit embarrassing. <laughs> a bit embarrassing for them. A bit embarrassing for you. Yes. Very much. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I kick off with zero points. Revenge is coming next week, though. I'll be choosing the song. Okay. Well, as we know, I am the railing champ, so <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Uh, well, that is it for Rewind this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you in seven days' time with a brand new episode. But, of course, on Friday, we'll be bringing you an episode from the first series that we did last year. So, in the meantime, you can keep up to date with us online. We are at Eurotip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, you can read all of our exclusive articles on EurotipPodcast.com. And you can email us as well, hello, at EurotipPodcast.com. Also, you can head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast if you would like to support us or if you just like to read all of the articles and some of the research videos <laughs> that went into this episode of Rewind. I, for one, will be heading there immediately after this, not to donate money to ourselves, because that wouldn't <laughs> make any sense at all, but to listen to the bird song contest from 2002. You can indeed. Obviously. Um, but yeah, just from me and James, from you as well, if you are a new listener, thank you for joining us and uh, let the road to Malmo commence. Indeed. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James... It's goodbye. And for me, Rob, it's goodbye. But for 2002, a new national final called Operation Triumphant. Triumphant. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.